Park Hopping Podcast number 43. Celebrating 10 years of posting Disney stuff on the internet. This is... Another crappy podcast production. Hi there, this is Alan of DisneyFans.com, and this is the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 43, the podcast that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that anyone can have their own podcast. Previously on the Park Hopping Podcast, I rambled on and on and on about my quick work-related trip to Florida that allowed me to visit Walt Disney World for the first time in nearly seven years. And today, part two. Welcome back to the Park Hopping Podcast. This is show number 43, and I'm really disappointed I just didn't have any time to put any Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy references in the show I posted last night. I've been a hoopy fruit since about 1982, back when the Hitchhiker's Trilogy was still only three books. And with Disney being behind the release of the Hitchhiker's movie last year, you know that would even have been somewhat on topic. In fact, it might not have even been uh, digressing. But it didn't happen, so moving on. Today, let's talk a bit about Mickey's not-so-scary Halloween party event at the Magic Kingdom in Florida. I'm not going to go into any history of this event since this past Tuesday was the first and only time I've ever attended it, and um, any back history I could offer would just simply be me pulling up some information from a website that I found from a Google search. You could do that. Suffice it to say that this is a hard-ticket event which ran from 7 p.m. until midnight and cost 45 bucks. Now, this year... Two nights uh, had sold out already, one of them that had already happened and the other being Halloween night, so I wasn't sure I could even get a ticket. But it turns out they still had plenty of them even after 7 p.m. on the night that I went, so that worked out. So to recap, I had flown into Orlando on Monday afternoon for a work-related event on Tuesday down in Melbourne, Florida. Um, I was going to spend the night in Melbourne, which meant uh, I would have some hours to uh, spend at the Magic Kingdom on Monday evening, um, before I had to get to the hotel for my stuff I was doing on Tuesday. Well, the Magic Kingdom kicked us all out at 7 p.m. for this private Halloween event. Folks who were there for the event had special armbands on, and cast members would watch for those bands and not let guests without them go back into the park. They also seemed to be checking them at some of the ride entrances, so if you hung around after the 7 p.m. closing and tried to ride anything, you'd find yourself being turned away. It seemed to work pretty well, actually. I've seen corporate parties handled in a similar way at Disneyland in California, though some of the larger events would actually require the private guests to meet in a certain location, like they'd section off a whole land of the park to hold everybody while they flushed all the day tourist out. Anyway, um, the party guests would be allowed back into the other park areas after everybody was gone. A lot of times they do this with a buffer, like the park will close at 6 and the private party will start at 7 but they'll let guests in earlier on during the day, and then they're just told to meet in a certain location after 6. Other times when they do a mix-in, like the party guests show up during the day and get to stay there continuously, they'll have to use, uh, you know, wristbands or some kind of other things. So I'm not really sure which way works out the best, but I figured it would have been possible for someone um, to wander around for hours maybe without even being noticed, provided they didn't try to board any rides where cast members were checking for armbands. I would expect if they were in a costume or something like that, they might blend in, you know, but yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so as I, as I was leaving the park on Monday evening, they had all kinds of fog machines turned on and um, had changed various signs in the park and, and audio, so it was all more uh, Halloween-themed. The ride wait time board at the end of Main Street was changed over to three signs listing the various events happening that night, and all the Main Street buildings were lit up with color, so one building would be purple, and the next would be pink, and then green, and so on. I mean, it looked really, really cool, and it kind of gave me an idea that maybe this was something worth checking out the next night. 
So I left the Magic Kingdom on Monday and took the monorail back to the transportation and ticket center where I parked, and I hopped on a monorail over to Epcot. I was uh, able to spend about an hour or so checking things out there. Um, officially, Future World closed at 7 p.m. also, and World Showcase was the thing that would stay open until 9. Now, in the past trips, Epcot always kept Spaceship Earth opened until closing, so I figured I could ride that and then spend some time in the World Showcase at the Food and Wine Festival, maybe see the fireworks there or whatever. Now, as it turns out, they had kept Spaceship Earth and Mission Space, the new Seas with Nemo, and and stuff like that. They had kept a lot of things open this night, and I'm, I'm not sure what else was open, but it did look like Imagination was closed based on the sign, and I didn't see anyone going in or out of the land where the new Soren attraction from California is, but, but I digress. I'll talk about those Epcot attractions in a future episode. So Tuesday, I uh, did my work thing, and then I headed back to Orlando from Melbourne, making it to the Disney World property around 5 p.m. And I headed to Epcot first, since I kind of hoped I'd get an extra five hours at the Magic Kingdom for the Halloween party later on. Around 6.30 or so, I called one of the Disney hotlines to ask if tickets were still available. Uh, that way I didn't waste a trip in case they were gone. And I was told they hadn't sold out, so I just drove on over to the Magic Kingdom. Um, I parked and then took the tram and bought my $45 ticket, and I headed up to the monorail. Um, let's see, I should mention a few things here. It didn't look like the ferry boats were taking passengers that night. The cast members were all routing us over to the express monorail. But but later on, I did see they were running the ferry boat, so I'm not really sure why that was. Maybe it was just, uh, you know, they wanted to push all the private guests that were going into the park a different route from all the people that had just been kicked out of the park or something. Um, as I got to the top of the monorail station, kind of walked right up to the, the line going up, um, a monorail was just pulling in. It was perfect timing, just after 7 o'clock, maybe 7.10, 7.15. But um, there was an announcement that this monorail was being taken offline and wouldn't be loading guests. So we had to wait for what seemed like ages, and the monorail pulled out. It sat there at the end for 5 or maybe even 10 minutes, and finally it left empty and another one eventually entered the station. I mean, it ended up taking nearly half an hour from buying my ticket to reaching the Magic Kingdom, and I could tell a lot of folks around me were kind of annoyed um, at that as well. Now, speaking of people around me, this event uh, allows and I guess even encourages people to come in costumes. So it was pretty weird standing there with all these people, um, including adults, dressed as pirates and superheroes and endless, endless Disney characters. I, I'd say um, that about one in five costume guests was Captain Jack Sparrow, and there are plenty of the Incredibles and Alice in Wonderland characters to be found. I saw Mickey and Pooh and, you know, Jack Skellington's, anything you could think of, just tons of duplicate Disney costumes. Couldn't throw a rock without hitting a Jack Sparrow, though. Anyway, some of the costumes were, were really pretty creative, but most just seemed like the stuff you'd buy off the rack at Walmart um, or you know, any costume supply place. Now, strangely enough, I saw quite a few very scantily dressed young women, everything from sexy flight attendants in short skirts to cheerleaders to vixens in fishnets. Um, you know, I know you do see a lot of skimpy shorts and tank tops at Disney on a typical hot summer day, but that's nothing compared to all this. I mean, if sexy wasn't out of place enough, there was also a number of more dark and sinister, gruesome costumes. I saw Michael Myers from Halloween and various other slasher film type characters, you know, hockey masks and things like that. Um, now, I admit my Halloween costume of choice is like a decaying zombie uh, when I'm not dressed as a pirate or whatever. But I wouldn't want to wear that to the Magic Kingdom. I guess I just kind of figure with all these kids around, maybe it would be better to have kept the sex and gore costumes out of the park. 
Um, kind of makes me wonder what costumes Disney actually wouldn't have allowed in the park that night. Anyway, so we finally get to the Magic Kingdom and the Mickey floral arrangement in front of the train station. Um, you know, it's complete with Mickey wearing like this uh, Zorro type Halloween mask. Well, it was covered with fog and surrounded by a neon looking outline. It was really cool. Everything was lit up in eerie colors and there were projections of Mickey-eared bats and ghosts and witches moving around on the buildings. There were projections on the street and large inflatable Mickey ghosts and pumpkins everywhere. Um, Disney's PhotoPass photographers were all over the place, and they were offering a 50% discount on all the 5x7 photos taken that night. In addition to having them stationed all over Main Street and around the entrances to the lands, you could also get your picture, um, you know, like with the castle eerily lit in the background, but you could go over to the front of Pirates of the Caribbean and have your picture taken with the new sign behind you, or even in front of the hearse at the Haunted Mansion. When you'd go to the Haunted Mansion, it was really funny because... Um, they were directing people, the line to the right is the left, the line to the pictures is to the right. They actually had lines of people getting their picture taken in front of the hearse, and I wanted to do it, but the line for the ride was actually shorter. So, uh, The PhotoPass system, by the way, is freaking brilliant. I mean, I expected bad things about it based on what I'd been hearing from other podcasts that just kind of rag on it, but man, I wish they realized, I, I kind of realized all this, that they had this like the day before when I first was there on on Monday, because... Well, basically, when you get your picture taken the first time, they give you this plastic card that has a long ID number on it, and they code that card with the picture they take. Um, and you can take this card into the photo center at Main Street or wherever, you know, in the different parks to buy a print of your photo. Or you can uh, keep taking the same card every time you see a photographer and you hand it to them and they take your picture and I guess they swipe it or whatever, and then it knows that that picture also goes with that card ID. So if you don't want to wait in a long line at the end of the day to preview and buy your photos, you can just look them up the next day and order prints, or you can go back to the park and order prints during your stay. They'll actually keep the photos online for 30 days after they're taken. So now if you've ever had pictures taken but forgot to claim them or you just didn't want them but changed your mind later, maybe there was a long line or you thought, oh gosh, I thought I was going to ride this again. I don't think they're doing the ride ones yet, but that's happened to me. I would ride something and my girlfriend wouldn't like her picture, so we wouldn't actually buy it, but we never got to ride the ride again. You know, if I could have gone back in time and got that original picture, it'd be great. Well, this totally solves all that. I mean, I thought it was great that I could easily... Uh, um, you know, I mean, I could easily see having my picture taken with every photographer I saw just so I could look at them later and figure out if I wanted to order any of them. I'd certainly prefer that over standing in a half-hour line just to buy my photo with Mickey Mouse. So, And I know that almost everyone has a digital camera these days, but these uh, these guys and gals do with these cameras at night, you know, have these nice cameras that took very clear pictures, and virtually all consumer digital cameras would not be able to get that, uh, especially without a tripod and using a flash and all that. I had one taken in front of Pirates with that sign in the background, and it's just, it's fantastic. And another one with the castle behind me across from the corner in front of the Crystal Palace. And they take several takes of each one, so you get to pick the best one. And, and that's pretty cool. I really, really like that. And to make this even better, if, if I'd planned to buy more than eight photos during my trip, you can um, buy a $9 photo CD that can hold hundreds of photos. The guy told me it would hold over like 300 photos. So, you know, if you're thinking about going on a trip with your family and having your pictures taken everywhere um, and then placed on this CD so you could print them out any size you wanted later, this, this is the way to do it. I mean, I remember the days with my first digital camera back in 1996 that I'd spend almost $100 on AAA batteries during a week-long visit. 
course, then I bought rechargeables. Anyway, so $100 is really nothing on a Disney trip. I mean, a sit-down meal for two can easily cost more than that. So I think this is a phenomenal idea. And I know that I'll go and I'll buy five or six photos just on the rides that have them as a souvenir, you know, and then one in front of the castle or Epcot. You know, I'll usually blow 100 bucks on souvenir pictures, um, you know, and, and so this is a great idea. Is that depressing? Well, probably is. Anyway, so the photos were an important part of this night. And there were plenty of opportunities to get photos in places you normally couldn't or with characters that you normally wouldn't run into. Um, just really, really, really cool. I was hoping to run into Jack Sparrow, but didn't see him. Anyway, another big deal was trick-or-treating. You could get these little uh, orange bags, um, and they had candy stations all over the park where kids and adults could pick up a bag and then go through a line and be given candy. You know, some of it was just the cheap generic candy, but a lot of places had Snickers bars and things like that, little small ones. So it was very cool. And I eventually gave in when I saw so many adults around me with these darn bags. So peer pressure, and I picked up my own bag. But I really only snagged two pieces of candy since I'm really not big on sweets. But it was kind of fun to be part of it. Um, there were some elaborate areas where you could do meet and greets with characters during your candy trip, like between the Toontown Fair and Tomorrowland. There's this little back path, which most people don't even seem to know is there. But they turned it into a um, Alice in Wonderland walk with about a half dozen or so of those uh, walking around playing cards, handing out candy. Tweedledee and Tweedledum also wandered through the line and made appearances about halfway. Um, and there was little cutout standees of rose bushes, you know, the roses being painted red from uh, very much like the ride at Disneyland, too. Uh, playing cards scattered about near the line. You know, it wasn't highly themed, but it was still really cute, and there was a number of candy stops along the line, so it was great for, you know, a great haul for sugar junkies. So all these lines were totally packed, and they just kind of creeped along. I mean, you know, it, it, you never stopped, but there were a lot of people there. There was a lady next to me. She was from uh, England or possibly Australia, and they were just wondering about, you know, why do they let so many people in here, and... And really, it, there was a lot of people for these little small areas, and I guess that just shows how much people like free candy. Anyway, I can see it being a big effort just to make it through all these lines. Um, let's see, some other places set up for some music DJ areas for dancing. Over where Sunny Eclipse normally was in Tomorrowland, uh, he was thrown out. He was actually gone from the platform, which I didn't realize they could do. Um, and in his place on the stage was uh, a Tomorrowland DJ um, and they had Stitch dressed as Elvis and Pluto and some other characters dancing around. Um, there was another DJ stand like this somewhere in Fantasyland with like a, a Aladdin uh, kind of character DJing thing. Not a costume character. He was more, I guess, Fantasyland themed, whatever. And uh, Adventureland also had some walkthrough candy meet and greets with Pirates characters like Shmee and all that. Um, and there was one in... Uh, a Frontierland where you could go see Jesse and Bullseye from Toy Story. They were actually just hanging out in front of the Diamond Horseshoe a lot of the time, which was kind of cool. It was a great night for candy and characters, I'll say that. Um, they also had this huge inflatable Stitch that you might have seen before in pictures in Tomorrowland over Stitch's Great Escape. A large Pumbaa and Timon in Adventureland. Um, you know, just things where people could take pictures on the ground or above buildings so they looked cool. Lots of stuff like that scattered about. There was this large alien stilt walker just walking around Tomorrowland and lots of other things you'd run into. And fog machines were everywhere and lights and windows. One of the shops in Liberty Square had some weird lighting effects and an upstairs window, for example. You know, just, just up there, they just did it because it looked cool, I guess. And they added a lot more lights and fog around the uh, haunted mansion. So that part was cool. So getting back to the evening, I have a friend of mine 
who I actually met from his uh, Haunted Mansion website many years ago. Then he went to work for Disneyland, and I got to meet him in person out there when he was working at the Haunted Mansion. Well, he works at Walt Disney World now, and he's a performer in the parade. And he actually text-paged me a rundown of what to see and where to see it. So the first thing I did was catch this villain's show in front of the castle up on the stage. And um, what it basically was, it was led by, oh, one of the evil queens. Now, now here's the deal. When I listen to podcasts and say I'm big into the theme parks, and somebody who's not into the theme parks talks about stuff, they get things wrong, and I kind of cringe. Well, that's like me with characters. It's like, oh, she's the witch from Snow White or Cinderella or you know, who else had a witch? Anyway, well, this was kind of a short presentation, 10, 15 minutes, something like that. And it was some rock music and, and villain dance numbers. And a lot of the walk around characters were there. And there were some fireworks from the castle. And at the end of the show, all the characters came down for meet and greet. So there was all these villains you could have your pictures taken with. And it was really easy to get to them. They weren't completely mobbed. And they did the show like five times a night. So I guess, you know, maybe between the candy and all the characters being out, it was really easy to get to them. And the, the human dancers in the show were, were these very sexually dressed women. I mean, they were going after like a vampire or witch type look. It looked like they had fishnets on. I mean, again, it's not something I would have expected at the Magic Kingdom. But boy, it, it sure looked good. It was a great high energy show. And it was cute, you know, um, and now many of the rides, you know, that's not your style for the shows. Many of the rides were open, but the whole point of a $45 ticket event really isn't to do the same things you can do any normal day. So I headed around to the next stop, which was going to be to catch the first parade on Main Street. Um, the Main Street music was all different, by the way. They played a lot of pop tracks from that Haunted Mansion movie soundtrack, as well as things like Ursula's Poor Unfortunate Souls song from The Little Mermaid, you know, anything that kind of fit in. They also had a lot of Haunted Mansion music and sound effects playing. And on the streets before the parade, a small army of carts selling glow swords and light-up things kind of circled around. It was It was funny. It was kind of like they were trying to be a small Main Street electrical parade. Um, they also had a three-piece band, you know, banjo and brass and stuff like that, that was playing music and free balloon animals being made for the kids. There was a lot of free stuff there. Um, down, uh, down the way, I noticed what looked like a game of hokey pokey being done in the middle of the road. And at the other end, they had kids trying to do hula hoops. So it was a very active wait before the parade reached our end of the park. Um, each time the parade started uh, in Frontierland and went to Main Street, so by getting there at the proper time of like 8.10 or whatever it was, we had to wait like, I don't know, 15 minutes for it to actually get to us. So they send out the, the Headless Horseman first from The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. An announcement is made, it kind of tells you what's going on, and um, then there he came. He came running down Main Street, um, I mean, very, very fast. And this is one of the reasons why... You should catch the parade from certain areas instead of, you know, well, the, here's the deal. Um, if you catch the Hordless Horseman on a long stretch like Main Street, you'll see him really riding that horse, going fast with the pumpkin in one hand all lit up. But if you're around the hub or in other areas, he has to practically walk the horse past. So I guess if you wanted a non-blurry picture, you might want to be near a curved area of the parade route. Now, where I was standing about halfway down, the horse blazed past with a horseman on it. It was pretty, pretty cool. Um, so that was neat. And they also made all the guests get away and get their feet up on the curb, you know, when the horse came down. And then you could go back and sit on the curbs. So uh, let's see. Eventually, the actual parade showed up with... Um, with various floats. So I'm going to go look through some of my pictures here and kind of give a play-by-play -play of what I saw.
Okay, let's see here. Um, first thing were two pretty winches, winches, see, I'm still thinking Renaissance festivals, witches um, pushing this kind of Mickey Mouse shaped thing that said Magic Kingdom, Mickey's Booty-You Halloween Parade. And then following them were a lot of the good characters, Snow White and some dwarves and Peter Pan and Wendy and Alice and Pinocchio and Tweedledee and the Mad Hatter and Geppetto, a lot of characters like that, uh, you know, uh, Aladdin and Jasmine, uh, you know, so it was the good guys at the beginning. After this, we got to see um, a gazebo float that had Donald and Daisy and Mickey and Minnie on there, and they were all dressed up in costumes. I think Daisy was like a princess, and, you know, they would have little Halloween masks on, and it was kind of cute. Um, and, uh, you know, Minnie would come over and had little lines in the parade, so you know, saying hello, and, you know, it's not very scary and stuff. It was cute. Then there was kind of a um, Winnie the Pooh scene, and they had Christopher Robbins. It looked like a boy. He looked like he was like 15 years old. Maybe it's a guy that just looks very young or something. I don't know, but he looked like a kid. He looked like Christopher Robbins with a little sword and a paper hat. And um, Piglet was dressed like a flower, and Winnie the Pooh was dressed like a bumblebee, and Eeyore was dressed like a uh, like a, a mummy. And um, I mean, it was interesting. The characters were all dressed up. And after that, there was a big tree float with some purple, not purple, orange Halloween lights on it. And um, that's where we saw, like, Kanga and Roo and, and Rabbit, things like that. So it was cute. Um, immediately after this, we entered the um, Pirates of the Caribbean section with two winches and two pirates dancing. And one of the winches was a redhead. And I, I wasn't the only one that, w that wanted to yell out, we want the redhead when she passed by. If they would have had her in a red dress, it would have been perfect. But they did their little dance, and it was very, very cool. The crowd loved that. And then the Pirates float itself had a bunch of skeleton zombies at the lower level around piles of treasure, kind of like in the ride at Disneyland. And up at the top, next to a pirate flag, was Captain Jack Sparrow. And this guy was dead on with his mannerisms and his wobbling and his posing, and he'd lean over and mug for one side, then he'd go over to the other, and anytime he saw cameras, of course, they'd mug for it. So, I mean, just, it was very, very cool. It, it looked like, um... You know, look like Johnny Depp. Uh, and what's funny is when I saw the parade a second time later in Frontierland and followed this float a bit, three female cast members working in one of the shops were actually standing outside when his float went by. And then as soon as it passed, they went back inside. And I went to one of them and said, don't tell me you just came out to see Jack pass by. And she went, mm, yeah. So I guess he's just that good. Kind of popular like the Tarzan guy was at Disneyland when he was on the parade floats years ago. So after Pirates, of course, is Haunted Mansion, and the, the, the caretaker with his dog holding the lantern in one hand comes walking down the street, and it was like a hound dog, so a much larger breed of dog than the one in the ride, but it was still cool. You, you immediately knew who it was. He went by, and then the ballroom ghosts were there, four sets of, of ghosts, except um, my friend explained to me, they were, since you could see them, they weren't really ghosts, they were more like zombies, and they were all zombied up and decaying. And their heads would kind of flop loose as they would turn corners like they you know, weren't all attached. It was a very, very nice little detail. And behind them was the actual Haunted Mansion parade float, which looked like something I've seen before. Like they might have redressed another float, but it had stairs leading up and it had the hitchhiking ghost at the top. And then they would go into this robotic thing like they were animatronics during most of it, which was very cute. And uh, then the highlight of the parade, the one thing that I heard people respond and kind of applaud and yell to every single time um, you know, I caught them, was the uh, gravediggers. They were dressed like Haunted Mansion butlers, all male, all zombied up in their makeup. They were carrying shovels, and they did this little dance number. Then at certain points in the dance, they would scrape those shovels along the ground, and they'd throw sparks in big circles. And it was kind of funny. One of the times I was there, one of them broke his shovel, and... 
and did some real funny things with his broken shovel. But um, there's some awesome pictures on the internet of them dragging these shovels around, throwing sparks everywhere. Very, very cool. So I guess we've kind of had Adventureland with the pirates. We've had Liberty Square with the Haunted Mansion. And then it was uh, a couple of guys, four guys that were doing hoedown type stuff representing Frontierland. And um, they were part of a parade unit that included characters from the Country Bear Jamboree and um, some really obscure Disney characters, old Disney characters. They had a float that was basically like a grain silo and it had Clarabelle the cow on it. And I don't know if I've ever seen her character in the park. Um, there were some girl hoedown dancers along with like Chip and Dell and some more of the bears and the fox from uh, Splash Mountain. And that was cute. Um, and then a barnyard with, uh, oh gosh, what's the name of that that uh, that hen? I can't think of her name. But again, these are old Disney characters, so pretty cool. After this, I'm not sure what they represented because it didn't seem to be a land. It was kind of this float with uh, skeletons playing guitars and keyboards and electronic drums. And it had... Um, the two bad demon guys from Hercules in the back. I don't know the names. That was kind of neat. I don't know how it fit in. And then we had some more of the um, villains. We had Corella DeVille and Captain Hook and, uh, oh, the guy that had Pinocchio locked up. Um, gosh, the puppet theater guy. And one of the witches and Queen of Hearts. It was really funny, too, because they were doing neat things. Like, the Queen of Hearts would go over. I was behind a trash can so I could prop myself up and balance the camera without, you know, make it still. And also, nobody can stand in front of you. That's the best place to watch the parade, is you just stand behind the trash can. Nobody can be in front of you. Well, she came over there and banged on the trash can right in front of me. It really startled me as she came walking up there. And I noticed they were all doing things like this. Like the uh, Haunted Mansion guys, one of the things they would do in their dance numbers, at one point, they would all kind of be walking, and they would jump over to the edge where the crowd was and scream at them as part of the song routine. It was pretty, pretty cool. Um, lastly was like a villain's float with, um, the bad guy from Aladdin. Gosh, Jafar? Yeah, Jafar, and, um, it had Ursula on there, and it had the witch from, oh, which witch is she? Yeah, you know what, I get all these Disney villains mixed up. But it was a cool float, and then there were a couple of the, uh, laughing hyena-type guys, those evil, whatever they were from, um, Lion King. Again, see, I'm, you know, the people that know these animated features are gonna be cringing. So let me get through the parade then. Last were some guys pushing huge bags of candy that actually had the real Goofy's Candy Company logo on them. And lots of cast members with these huge orange bags full of candy just filling up bags as they walked along, giving pieces of candy to anybody who held out their bag. Um, it's really, really cool. There was a whole bunch of those and Goofy on this big float that was apparently pedal-powered. Actually, there was a, a candy truck with Pluto on it, and then there was... a. Uh, Goofy on this float pedaling, and it was spitting out buttons and uh, buttons, bubbles, and it looked like something from the original Willy Wonka movie, or maybe something from Journey into Imagination. Then finally, the last thing was the two cast members carrying a sign that said the end. It was a long white thing, sheet, and it had the little dots on there like the old dot candy. So um, it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm, I'm getting excited about this parade, but it, it really was uh, a neat little... Um, a neat little parade, and of course, they were bringing candy to you. And even before the parade started, people that were coming by were, um, you know, giving candy to people who were waiting and, and, and things like that. So it was a pretty cool parade. I really liked seeing the Pirates in the Mansion characters as well as all the villains. And I think the only thing I didn't like about it was how they actually kept playing the theme song to the parade, Boo to You, when the parade wasn't running. It repeated various times on Main Street throughout the evening. So... 
it kind of had this small world effect by the end of the night on me. So, boo to you indeed, Disney. Maybe a little overkill. Um, and speaking of killing, since I had a bit of time to kill, I grabbed some chili fries and a Coke in Frontierland at Pecos Bills. It's the first time I've eaten there since they remodeled back in, what, 98? Something like that. I just always have skipped it. Um, and, and then later I got a hot dog and some iced tea at Casey's Corner on Main Street. You know, Most of the restaurants, including the character dining places, were actually open. But the one place I wanted to go in Liberty Square was closed. So that seems to always be my luck at Disney Parks. So during um, these gaps when I wasn't trying to get somewhere, I actually rode through Pirates in the Mansion. I did Peter Pan and Snow White and got to watch Phil Magic and Stitch's Great Escape again. But, you know, that was about all the attractions that I did. I spent most of my time trying to go and see all the special events and treat locations. Um, and more on that some other time. Uh, the big thing of the evening was the Hallow Wishes fireworks show, and they were very cool. I'd, I'd certainly say they were the best I'd ever seen at the Magic Kingdom. Certainly better than the old fireworks shows that they were running back in 99. Um, but it's nowhere as good as, as what Disneyland has been offering lately. I mean, they added pinwheels on the castle and a few fireworks that were launched from the castle, and they did the background cascading fireworks off to the corners like Disneyland has been doing a lot of these things that just were not part of fireworks 10 years ago. They, you know, Disney has really been um, upgrading. Uh, there were a few times when fireworks shot up from the far left and right on Main Street, kind of in a half circle back going behind the castle. So if you want to see this fireworks show, the best place is to see it from the end of Main Street. This is exactly what my friend suggested, you know, right between the hub and the end of Main Street. So you kind of get them surrounding you. If you watch them from a distance, you're just kind of see fireworks. Um... The narrator for the parade was doing a ghost host impression, and the music was cool. I mean, it was a neat montage of villain music, and they did projections onto the castle, but they were just like projections and the little panning um, silhouette outline things, not the fancy contour-mapped animated ones like Disney started using during the 50th. But still, it was very, very good. A lot of lighting effects. And, and if I hadn't seen the Disneyland fireworks last year... I'd probably think this was the best fireworks show I'd ever seen, though I'm sure the normal Wishes show and maybe the one they were doing for the 50th was equally as good, or, or maybe not. I don't know. I just think maybe I like the uh, villain theming the most. It's, it's, it's hard not to get excited about all the villains being in one place and, and being in the fireworks show and being walking you know, on the streets. Kind of makes me wonder if they haven't been using this to test the water for the proposed villain land or villain theme park that pops up on the rumor radar now and then. Oh, geez, I've already hit 30 minutes on this. I'm really trying never to do a podcast longer than 30 minutes now. Too many of the ones I'm listening to have crept over one hour, and they're an hour and a half. I have one podcast that it's like over two hours now, and I just can't listen to them anymore. So now if it's like longer than an hour, I just skip it. Anyway, uh, I'll finish this up. Beyond these three major presentations, the villain show, parade, and fireworks, um, the rest of the event was trick-or-treating, DJ dancing, and character meet-and-greets, surrounded by fog and lighting and decoration and sound effects. Um, that was about it. I mean, they had a Southern Bell storyteller in front of the Haunted Mansion and a lot of other special street-atmosphere performers during the night. And, of course, you got to see about 30% of all the guests dressed up, so there were costume characters everywhere. I even saw one Jack Sparrow that I thought was the official one. I mean, his costume was excellent, and if it hadn't been for his armband and the lack of a Disney handler nearby, I really would have thought he was official, and then I would have wanted a picture with him like everybody else did. It was very cool, but I can see how this could cause confusion with the guests. So, overall, was it worth $45? I think if I had young kids, it would be a must-do. I can't think of a cooler place or a safer environment to let my kids load up on treats. Disney even had free face painting. And a lot of adults were taking advantage of that. 
So between all this special entertainment, the candy and the activities, I think it's a fantastic thing for a family. But without kids, it's kind of hard to justify this money for just some different lights, sound, fog, and a parade and fireworks show. I'm still very glad I did it, and I probably would do it again next year, kind of a yearly Halloween tradition. But at this price, it's not something I would think was worth coming back to again and again. I mean, if I had known more about my trip ahead of time, I could have saved some money and bought a ticket in advance, and that would have helped out. And if the price was in the $15 range, heck, I would think I'd do it every night during a multi-stage just to hang out with these people. I mean, the park looked really cool, so I think really the price is based on your expectations. If you think it's worth $45 to ride for five hours and understand that a lot of the rides would be closed, I mean, that's cool. That's always a reason. Um, but that's nothing that couldn't be done during the day. Uh, fireworks, well, you can see them on any normal night as well as shows in a parade, but with such a unique experience seeing everything so different and all the special versions, you know, the villains and stuff, I think it's definitely worth doing once. It's kind of like eating at Cinderella Castle. Before uh, it was a character dining, I had a breakfast there one time, and it was a great experience. Um, but the breakfast itself wasn't that great, especially not for the money. Um, but I did I did it just to eat in the castle, and that was worth doing. It's just not something I'd do again and again on the next trip or, you know, whatever. Uh, maybe I would, but certainly not multiple times on the same visit. Okay, well, I've eaten there again as a ca character experience, but that was the first time I ever did character dining. But, yeah, I mean, you get my point. Basically, in its experience, it's an experience in doing something cool the first time, and that makes that, to me, worth a lot more than doing it, say, the 15th time, but, but I digress. Anyway, that's a quick run-through of my experience with Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party, and uh, I really want to describe this more like a giant Halloween party where you don't know anyone than just a private event. Everyone was there to play and have fun, and it's just totally surreal being surrounded by all these grown-ups dressed up in costumes. Now, I was disappointed to hear so many parents yelling at their kids or griping at guest relations because they didn't get enough candy or whatever. Now, here, here's a true story. When I went in to get my parking fee refunded, um, and let me explain, I bought an annual pass that includes parking, but I had to pay to get, the pa uh, get in to get the pass, so you had to go to guest relations to get the parking refunded. You get the idea. I wasn't griping. I was just getting my money back. Anyway, when, when I was in guest relations, I heard a number of people in line ahead of me griping about the dumbest things. One group said they didn't show up until 9.30, and then they didn't go through the candy lines because they heard they could just load up on the way out. So they spent their time riding rides instead of getting candy. So at midnight, they were upset when they weren't able to get a bag full of candy on their way out. And when I was in the parking lot going in, I got to witness a family, all dressed up, mind you, yelling at their beautiful little princess of a girl to shut up and stop talking. Yay. Yeah, I understand things can get stressful, but seriously, is this the place for it? I guess I'll just have to add disgruntled parents to my list of sexy girls and gory teens as the things you can expect to see at this event that maybe you wouldn't normally expect. Well, except for disgruntled parents. There's a lot of those at Disney. Anyway, that's my recap of the event. I'm really glad that I went because it let me get in a number of rides that I wouldn't have otherwise gotten to see because I had so few hours at the park the uh, day before. And seeing all the decorations was very cool, and the parade and the fireworks were great. I'd love to see them again, but... The appeal of the candy lines and the DJ dancing isn't something that personally interests me. Again, maybe it would if I'd been there with kids, so uh, to return I'll just have to have a much harder time trying to justify $45 for a few, uh, just a few things. But don't let that stop you from seeing it at least once. I have no regrets in attending, but um, if I'm in town again next year, I'll probably end up just spending my evening at Epcot and saving the money rather than forking it over once again. So 
The next time you're there, be sure to take an extra picture, shoot some extra video, because you really never know when something you like, love, or hate might go away and not be around again, kind of like these parties could. I mean, Disneyland used to have annual pass holder parties, and I went to the last one in 97, not realizing it was the last one. And on that note, that'll do it for me this time. Uh, be sure to visit DisneyFans.com, where you can browse over 35,000 or so digital pictures taken at Disneyland, Walt Disney World, and other theme parks around the country, and uh, dozens of video files from the Disney parks here. If you'd like to drop me a note, my email address is podcast at DisneyFans.com, or you can call 206-2030-227 and leave me voicemail. This has been the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 43, Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. Thanks for listening, and uh, have a great Halloween. Another Crappy Podcast production. Be sure to visit anothercrappypodcast.com to learn more about this and other equally exciting <sighs> podcasts. This podcast is a member of the Disney Podcast Network, along with Beyond Main Street Video Podcasts, with your hosts, Lou and Bob. The place to see all things Disney at beyondmainstreet.com. Bringing Disneyland Home, a video podcast for all Disneyland fans, can be found at oakfan.com. Micecast. Opinionated. Provocative. PG-13. Disney Podcast. At www.micecast.com. The Park Hopping Podcast. Audio ride-throughs and babbling. Lots of babbling. At anothercrappypodcast.com. Zippity-doo-pod. An interactive discussion of the ins and outs of Disney fandom. You can find us on iTunes or on the web at aaronspod.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-S-P-O-D dot com. 